my notes have disappeared. And here comes the guilty party. It's in order. Thank you. Well, this has been an interesting day. It started this morning when a few of us were getting 911 texts and emails from Neil saying that he was waylaid in Florida, that he couldn't get out, and he was looking for somebody to preach for him today. I didn't see it until after David had uh, already read it, and so David had said, you know, hey, I'll, I'll do the preaching this morning. And uh, so then I thought, well, since we're trying to introduce ourselves in a way to the congregation, I sent Neil a text and I said, hey, if, uh, if you get back and you don't feel like preaching, I'll, uh, I'll stand in for you. That went pretty good until David started preaching this morning <laughs> because I had already thought, I've been working on something for a devotional that we're going to do sooner or later. And, and so I had 85, 90% of my work done. I was just going to kind of polish it up. So I thank you, David, for preaching my lesson this morning. It was really good. <laughs> so then I had to go home and uh, try to put something together. And then it dawned to me, my printer doesn't print anymore. So what I have to work from are my scribbled handwritten notes. And you don't know, but my wife can tell you hieroglyphics are my big thing in life. I can... <laughs> So anyway, so much for all that. This is, uh, this is interesting. Hopefully we'll uh, not bore you too much. I, I told John, I said, well, David got the thing started. And I said, by the time I get through tonight, we'll have to start this congregation all over again because we'll run everybody off. Years ago, Alice and I knew a preacher in primarily in the Middle Tennessee area. His name was Robert Jackson. I don't know whether you've ever run across Robert or not, but he's, he's been gone for a long time. He was a special man. The men liked him. Well, let me back up. Let me start with the ladies first. The ladies liked him because he was really good looking. He was an impeccable dresser, and uh, he was really sharp. We liked him because he was known throughout the brotherhood as 20-minute Robert. He, his sermons hardly ever went more than 20 minutes. And I asked him one time, we were at a meeting, and I was talking to him about it. He said, well, I have a philosophy on how to speak. He said, I stand up, I speak up, and then I shut up. And he said, if you do that, you'll get the meat of the subject passed out. And the rest of it's just kind of fluff anyway. So don't set your clocks, but we may be out of here a little early. In October 20th, 1944, in the island of Leyte in the South Pacific, U.S. forces were aggressively going island hopping, taking all those islands back from the Japanese. They were en route initially to liberate the Philippines, which they ultimately did, but their long-term mission was to uh, invade Japan 
to try to end the war. Well, we know how that ended, but when they were trying to take the island of Leyte, they ran into a lot more resistance than what they had anticipated. The 35th Division, excuse me, the 38th Division, I used to be in the 35th, but the 38th Armored Division and the 25th Divisions were the main forces. As soon as they landed on the beaches, they ran into resistance that they just did not anticipate. And they were basically stuck on the beach. And if you've ever seen any war movies, you know that is not a good place to be. And they were taking heavy casualties and heavy fire. A young captain named Aubrey Noman finally stood up because they were basically laying on their bellies. He stood up and turned to his men and without any thought of his safety, he said, get off the beach, follow me. That was the impetus to get everybody moving. That was a heavily fought battle. And it is special to me because my father was one of those men on that beach. He survived, but a lot did not. So what I wanted to talk to you about tonight, since David took my bullets, is about following Jesus. We've heard it time and time again. We sing songs about it time and time again. And as we read in Matthew 18 through 21, there are certain things that are required and certain things that we're directed to do especially. So the main question is, and I never had really asked myself this question, what does it, what does it really mean to follow Jesus. You need to think about that sometime because for the most part, it's really not what a lot of us do in response to that action. We say it's an integral part of our faith and, and it really is. But sometimes when you look around and see what's being done, we realize that sometimes it's just mere words that are being spoken. So the question is, what does it look like if you're really following Jesus? We'd say, well, it's a big part of our faith, that's for sure. But a lot of times they're only words. And if I say things like this that I don't mean to offend you, but the reality is, you know, sometimes we have to look at things from a perspective of am I really doing what I claim to be doing? It's quick to say, you know, we're doing good, but sometimes we're not. I think he intended for us to be not observers, but he intended for us to be participants. That changes the whole perspective of that action. We're not spectators. Jesus wants us to actually be his hands and be his feet. 
and not just give lip service to this command. In reality and simplistically, simply he is saying there's things that we have to do that we typically don't do. It's not about the words we say. It's about the steps that we take. And when we look at those words and steps, we'll find out what's important and what maybe not be as important as we thought it might be. So to reiterate, we as Christians, we become, since Jesus is now in heaven, we become his hands and his feet. We're to execute his game plan. You know, we, we have our own perceptions of what he's like and what he might look like, but more importantly, what he might do. And it's, it's important that we understand the things that he's left, that he's no longer here on earth to do, but he has his people here that can do them for him. But the bottom line is, he expects you to do something. He expects me to do something. We need to think about those things. He needs us as Christians to take his name seriously, and which we actually do when we take up and become his hands and his feet. You know, the world's always been a difficult place. This world we live in today is, is hurting. People are hungry. People are oppressed. People are tired. They're lost. People are run out of hope. And it's our job as believers to reach out to them to become Jesus' hands and his feet. That's what we as a church need to think about doing. There's a lot of work to be done. And sometimes it's not pleasant, but it has to be done. There'd be people that are sick, those that are maybe even sitting in a jail cell somewhere. They have an addiction problem or they're just lonesome. Um, they need friends. They need someone to care for them. They need someone to come to them. And that's our job, folks. That's what we were put here to do. That is what Jesus was saying. When he said, follow me to those disciples that we just read about, I've always been impressed because all he ever said was, he just walked up with, not, with no other words said. He just simply said, follow me. And what did they do? They immediately got up and went where he was. God has given us a, a message. And he's been here for us. We have a comfortable life in this world. We, in spite of all the problems that are going on in this country, I don't know of any of us that would prefer to move to a third world country and, and live there because it would not be a good place to be, I can assure you. We're concerned about our safety and our comfort and our security. 
And I, you know, I'm right there with you. I prefer to be in a safe place and have a comfortable lifestyle. But sometimes we have to look beyond that and say, Lord, send me. He needs us to be his hands and his feet. You know, we get to the point, and remember the old biblical expression, when the salt has lost its savor or saltiness, it becomes of no use to anyone. We don't want to become that. There are missions to be done, and we don't have to go across the blue waters. We don't necessarily have to go across the state lines. There's plenty for us to do right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. All we need to do is say, Lord, send me. And I think there, if we would do that, and, me, and don't get me wrong, this is not, I'm not beating up on anybody. These are just things that, that have been on my mind for a while. What can we do? How much effort can we do? I, I can, and, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way because I'm part of this. But just sitting in a bench on Sunday morning is not what we're talking about when we say follow Jesus. He's here because of his omnipotent power to be here. But his mission is outside the streets, on the streets of Bowling Green, Kentucky. You know, we look around and we've got a pretty good crowd tonight. And it looks like, you know, we're all sitting here. I think we're all good with the Lord. If we're not, we can make those things right. But there's a a world of people right outside the door that are totally different. They're the ones that I was talking about that desperately need somebody to come to them. And we need to be willing and able to say to the Lord, you know, Lord, send me. Send me. Let me be your hands And let me be your feet. So our mission as Christians, not necessarily to seek the easy life or the straightest roads. Our mission is to seek the lost and to love the lost. We need to nurture those who are hurting and the opposed. Again, by doing that, we become Jesus' hands and we become his feet. Let's be honest. Take your own inventory. If the time comes or if the opportunity presents itself, don't hold back. Because whatever he asks you to do, he will empower you to do it and watch over you and care for you. I looked at three basic questions when I was throwing this thing together this afternoon. One is, where all did Jesus go? And what did Jesus do? And how did Jesus feel? You know, the question basically will show us what Jesus did and show us what he, we should be doing. And they'll show us how to follow him. 
Jesus can be found in the Bible and commonly in about three different areas. Often he was alone. Often he was praying and resting. Other times he was with his closest associates. I think we can do that one pretty, pretty good, pretty well here. Thirdly, he was with those who were opposed, those who were forgotten, the sick, the sinners, and those that were socially outcast. That's not a long list of the places he went. But Jesus, you'll see, is often in or heading to one of these three places, if you look at the New Testament in the overall. We struggle with going to meet those people who have needs. We struggle with those who are oppressed, and we struggle with those who are forgotten because it's messy. It can be dirty, and it can be uncomfortable. So we just often avoid it. I'm guilty of that. We'd rather stay in our, what we call it, our safe zone. We'd rather stay in our little safe zone rather than venture out into the unknown. Even though it may be down the street, we're just not really comfortable doing that. But to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to go to the people and the kind of people that he went to. That's what he would expect of us. That's what following Jesus means. And unfortunately, that's what makes us uncomfortable sometimes. When he was with people, he always had what they needed. Not always what they wanted, but what they ultimately needed. He would go to the sick. He talked to those who were being ignored by their leaders. He challenged those who had a haughty attitude. He counseled with those who were in need. He helped those who were poor. He gave something to live for for those that were hopelessly lost. He comforted them when they were troubled and forgave them when they fell short. In short, he showed love to everyone that he came in contact with. And maybe one of the most applicable Stories that we could talk about even this evening is the story of the woman who was caught in the in the act of adultery. Apparently, this woman was unfairly accused and was in significant danger of being harmed by those who were in authority at that time. What did Jesus do? He stepped in and defended her. Jesus got between her and her attackers. He went toe-to-toe with them because they were accusing her of things. He defended her in a rather bold way. 
but not violently. And he did this at great risk to himself. The reality is that she wasn't totally innocent, to say the least. She had some blame, but that didn't make how she was being treated okay. And, and they didn't justify, that didn't justify what the people that were attacking her they are doing. So a lot of times for us, when we actually stick up for someone or stick our neck out, we want to know they are innocent, but Jesus didn't do that. He stood with her, not because she was innocent, but because she was in dire need of a friend, an advocate, and a savior. I think maybe that's the best example for us to follow today. This church, any church, any group of Christians around should be defending those that can't defend themselves. We should stand up for those that are facing unfair treatment, whatever it might be. We should be friends with advocates to those who are opposed. And in doing this, we can point them the way to the Savior. Following Jesus means we stand up for those that Jesus stood up for. And if it puts us at risk, so be it. Following Jesus was never meant or intended to be comfortable. All these people that we described have one of the most valuable things that's worth working for and fighting for. They have a soul. And oftentimes, me being included, we fail to take that into consideration when we consider the mission that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, as members of his church, we have a responsibility. And we need to be sure that we're exercising that responsibility. The final question then, how did Jesus feel when he interacted with these people? I don't really know how to answer that. And my instructors always said, don't ever raise an issue unless you have an answer for it. But often, you know, we're motivated to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. Jesus was motivated by his longing and his desire and to just be with people that would listen to him. There are three basic emotions that, that, seem to play out in this. One is compassion. He had compassion for that woman at the well. Not because of what she had done, but for the way she had been treated and mistreated. He saw within her what he sees in each one of us, that she had a soul. One of the three the, 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 uh, emotions we often see displayed is grief. I look at a congregation this big, and, and just for the people that I know, there are people who are grieving, they're hurting because of losses. He feels for them. And there's anger over some of the injustices that we see going on in this country. 
you know, whether it's politically uh, motivated or just people are, I have to be real careful how I say this, but people are really weird in a lot of ways. I don't, I don't understand woke or walk or, you know, I know it's a walkie cook some stuff in that, but woke, I don't know what it is. I'm just a red bloody country boy and I love my country and I want, uh, I want to see us flourish and uh, be at peace with one another despite our, our differences. But we care. And it's, it, it, it's it's show of our compassion when we reach out to people that are suffering. That's what Jesus means when he says, follow me. He's taking us to those that need us. And I looked at the world, and I looked at the world we're in. I think if he were here on earth, he would be very disappointed. He'd be weeping with some of the friends and folks that uh, and families that, that have lost loved ones. If he were here today, I think he'd be like he was in the temple when he came in and saw what was going on and he was turning tables over. I think I think he would you would see some righteous judgment in a lot of cases. In fact I know you would because he would not be happy with what he's found. And if he were here today, he'd be sitting with those that are lost, those that are uh, left out, those that are ignored. And you know, folks, I say all these things, and, and I know we're all thinking in the abstract, but I would almost guarantee you there's somebody in this audience right here tonight that fits that category, whether they know it or admit it or not. And that's sad. I don't think he'd be going to the power people in this country, the leaders, maybe not even to some of us, but I think you'd find him spending a lot of his time with the lost, the sick, those that are left out, those that have been cast aside. But he's not here. He's left that job to us. And that's what he means when he says, follow me. We become his hands and his feet. Jesus genuinely loves each of us. We need to understand that. And that should motivate us to feel about our brothers and sisters the same way. And as an importantly, it should motivate us to look upon those people that I've described to you in a different light. Because Jesus has said, follow me. And he's got places that he wants us to go places that he would support us and protect us if we would just make an effort to do it. It's a good way to end this, uh, this lesson this evening. Just think about if he were to come today or tonight, would he look at us and say, thank you for following me? I'm almost afraid to answer that on a personal behavior, uh, level because I don't know that I've messed you up to that. I'm like most people. I'm happy with the happy part and the easy part, but when the going gets tough, even being an old soldier, sometimes we just like to take the, the easy path and don't get involved in things that are going to require too much of us.
He's a great Savior. And it's a good time to just close this uh, thought out with he's still calling on people today to follow me. We sing a lot of songs in our songbook. I don't think we're going to sing that tonight, but, you know, who will follow Jesus? That was one of the first songs that I, I ever learned to sing when I became a Christian was who will follow Jesus. And I think it's a good way to just look out to this audience and, and pose that question to you. Who will follow Jesus? This is the good opportunity. It's an opportune time, place. There will be an elder down at the front. So we're just challenging you to look at yourself just a moment there. And if you're not following Jesus like you feel like you can and should, there's always time to start again. So having said that, if you're subject to any of this, if it will help you to come and speak with an elder, if you have never followed Jesus, if you're not a Christian, then the first step for you is right behind me. You need to submit to him in baptism, have your sins washed away, and come up out of the water with a new life and a new outlook and a new future. Let's go ahead and sing.